Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. Is it possible that we simply haven't learned what that higher power is and how to apply it, how to use it? And is it possible that we have misunderstood God completely and based our behaviors, our interactions with each other on a model of God that is simply inaccurate? Hey everyone, you're listening to Human to Human, the show that connects truths and bridges the gaps between our human experiences, one conversation at a time. I'm your host, Stacey Ike, and I'm so glad you're here. This episode's special guest is New York Times bestseller, international speaker, and a man who personally changed my life, Neil Donald Walsh. His award-winning novels like Conversation with God and The God Solution have been life changers for me. And I can't wait for you guys to get a dose of his perspective through this human-to-human conversation. Neil and I talked about dismantling fear as a form of love, redefining the relationship of understanding to forgiveness, and reimagining God as pure love. Not just love, guys, pure love. Neil made it very clear that there's a difference. As you know, before each episode, I give a few recommendations inspired by the conversation you're about to hear. I share a song to add to your playlist, a book to check out, and I also do a reflection question based on something sparked by the episode. So let's get into it. This episode's song to put on repeat is God and Me by Mary Mary. This week's read is The God Solution, written by today's guest. And after you listen, reflect on this question. Is it possible that we have misunderstood God completely and based our behaviors, our interactions with each other on a model of God that is simply inaccurate? Whew, yeah, I know. It's a heavy one, so feel free to take a few days with it. As always, leave your thoughts in the comments or at humanyhumanseries.com. Now, let's get into my conversation with Neil Donald Walsh. I just want to thank you so much for writing this book. I have to first tell you how I was introduced to your work. I was recognizing that I had a pretty parental relationship with God, which was getting a little painful. And uh, I had some friends in my life. I had my cousin and a good friend of mine both introduce your book to me, Conversations with God, in the same week. And I remember hearing my cousin say it, and I was like, okay, that sounds cool. I'll get into it. And then I remember hearing my friend say it, and I was like, Okay, so clearly I need to check it out. And um, 26 hours later, and (laughs) I mean, I was hooked so early into it. And so that definitely sent me on a deep dive into your work and a beautiful journey that I know I'm still on. And so when I read The God Solution, I just knew that it would be wonderful for us to have a conversation. So thanks so much for being here. Well, thank you for telling me that history. And and sharing with you with me your experience i'm glad i'm glad you had such a positive experience of it um, yeah. 
and yeah. makes me makes me feel good. You know, a lot of people. Well, we could save that for the program, but oh no, go ahead. We're starting. A lot of people uh, are uh, concerned about, or have been confused about, or found themselves just not quite comfortable with the way they've experienced and understood and been taught about this thing we call God in our life and in the universe. And and many people have picked up the conversations with God uh, books and said, Oh my gosh, here it is. I can, I can go, I can agree with this. I, I, one of the most wonderful things that ever happened to me was when a lady came up to me after a short talk I was giving at a church, this is many years ago. And she said to me, Thank you for introducing me to a God I can fall in love with. I said, wow. I mean, what a wonderful summary of the entire Conversations with God series. Thank you for introducing me to a God I can fall in love with. Mm. Because we've had this fearship with God for so many years. I mean, our species as, you know, and we are even taught as children that it's, uh, you know, I mean, at least I was taught that I was supposed to be a God-fearing man. It's good to be a God-fearing man. What's good about that? How, since when did we did transfer love to fear? When, when did we decide that fear was a form of love? And so um, I, didn't, I didn't get it at the time. But I, I had every adult around me telling me that's how it was, and that's the right way to live. So I, you know, I tried really hard to do that until I got to be around 17 or 18 years old. Uh, I was almost, I wanted to be a priest. You know, my whole background was a, I was raised in a Roman Catholic family and went to, a, they sent me to a Catholic school. It got a wonderful education, no, no question about that. But it was filled with religious dogma along with the you know, academic subjects. Uh, and I was so full, filled with the idea of God that I wanted to be a priest. And when I was 14 or 15, I just really decided I wanted to be a priest and I wanted to be a member of the priesthood for the rest of my life. Then at 17... Uh, somebody slipped me, I don't know, one of the guys in the neighborhood slipped me a copy of a centerfold from Playboy magazine. And that was the end of my idea about the priesthood. <laughs> because, I mean, you got the, the, the celibate? I was going to be celibate? I, you know, after I, I, I don't think so. Right. Not after I saw that picture. <laughs> so I was done with the idea of becoming a priest, mm. but I wasn't done with it, my fascination with this whole uh, idea of a supreme being, some kind of higher power, call it what you want. Mm. Uh, and uh, that interest stayed with me through most of my life until I had my conversation with God when I was almost 50 years old. Yeah. You, you kind of touched on it a bit, but what was your introduction to God as a young person, and what was your either breaking point or turning point for you? Well, my introduction to God uh, as a young person was through my family. I was born in a Roman Catholic family. 
uh, and they were, um, I wouldn't say they were strict Catholics, but they were certainly adherent. That is, they obeyed the, the rules and laws of the church. And and uh, my dad went to, my mom was too sick to do it. She wasn't in good health uh, through most of my youth. But my uh, father was okay, and he went to church. He went to Mass every Sunday, religiously, I want to say, uh, and never missed Mass. And he took us with him. And, you know, and so we were, you know, in that whole um, in that whole milieu, that whole environment of God being a, a really very big part of our lives. Uh, and every Sunday I went, I went to Mass. And, that, and then one Sunday I decided to uh, go play softball. We had a little game of baseball at the playground instead. I guess I was about nine or ten years old. You know, one of those things that a ten-year-old uh, boy does. I played hooky. And, and I, I told my dad that I was going to go to mass later because they were there were like three masses on Sunday morning, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock mass. My dad always went to the nine o'clock mass and took us with him. I said, how about if I go to the 11 o'clock mass? And, and I said, I'm not really feeling well this morning. So I told a little fib. And then <clears throat> I went and played at the playground instead, played baseball. And the game went on too long. And I never went to the 11 o'clock mass. My father didn't know, of course. He took my word for it that I went to the later mass. He didn't question me about it because it didn't occur to him that I would lie. <laughs> <laughs> and as, But the priest came in and gave a, a little talk uh, at our church. Uh, I mean, at our school. You know, In, in our school, the, the priest uh, came in once a week and taught what he called catechism, which is the the, the, the doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church. He said, you know, you, that, that particular week, he said, you know, if you miss Mass on Sunday and you don't have a good excuse, I mean, if you're taking care of a sick parent or if you have to work, fair enough. But if you don't have a really good excuse and you miss Mass and then you should get hit by a car on Monday and maybe die in a tragic accident, you'll be going to purgatory. Uh, and I said, What's, what in the world is purgatory? He said, well, purgatory is kind of like hell, but it's not forever. But you are, you know, you, you, you suffer there as you would in, in hell until your sins are burned off of your soul and you're purified and then you can go to God in heaven. If you commit a mortal sin, a venial sin is kind of a spiritual misdemeanor, which is like missing mass. But if you commit a mortal sin, you know, having an affair with somebody, you know, cheating on your wife or, you know, a really, really big bad thing to do. Gosh, I'm in trouble. Okay. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so basically you are human in any way. Yeah, you, you, then you commit a mortal sin. Yeah. Then, then you're going straight to hell. Uh, and, and by the way, uh, this is where you asked the second part of the question, when did I break with the church? I was, I was taught that <clears throat> if you're not a, a Christian, and specifically a Roman Catholic, you're going to hell. That if you're Jewish, if you're mm -hmm. Muslim, if you're a Buddhist, if you're anything other than Christian, if you're not mm -hmm. a Christian, uh, you're going straight to hell. It yeah. doesn't matter whether you're nice, kind, generous, caring, compassionate, forgiving, loving. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Person, none of that matters. You're going straight to hell. Mm. You have to belong to the right religion. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I, I thought, oh, that, that doesn't feel good. That doesn't feel right in my stomach. Something is mm. wrong about that. 
I can't imagine that God would say to a Muslim or to a Jewish person, you know, you've been a really wonderful human being for all of the 83 years of your life. You've been a wonderful, kind, caring, generous, loving, compassionate, forgiving person. But I got to send you to hell because Dems the rules. What can, <laughs> what can I tell you? You, 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 just, you, you were the wrong religion. Oh. And I thought, if that's the kind of God that's running this universe, yeah. then maybe I'd rather be in hell because that sounds like hell to me. Yeah. You know, and, and as some comic once said a few years ago, maybe it's not so bad to go to hell. I mean, all the interesting people are there. So, I love that. So, so in, in, any, in any event, uh, that kind of was the breaking point for me as I got mm -hmm. older. And, and, uh, I, I decided just to put religion, the whole idea of religion down. I didn't put yeah. Catholicism down. I put the whole idea of religion down. I thought, you know what, I'm not interested. Yeah. Uh, and, and then I just uh, kept it on the back burner for many years, not a couple of years, but for most of my adult life. I just went ahead and did what I was doing in my life until uh, my life started falling apart in, in every way it could. It was, uh, you know, my health was going rapidly downhill. I had a car accident in which I broke my neck. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, the doctors said it was an amazing that I didn't die right there because when people break, I didn't have a small fracture, by the way. We're not talking about a hairline fracture. I, recall, I still recall the wording on the report, a three-quarter inch avulsion fracture of the seventh cervical vertebrae posteriorly. A three-quarter inch break is like this. That's large enough to put a pencil through. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I really broke my neck in no uncertain terms. And the, the surgeons told us afterward, you know, it's amazing he came out of that accident alive. That was a car accident. Some old man pulled in front of me and, and I hit him. So um, it was a tragic moment. He was fine. I, I was fine except I had a broken neck. And so in, in, then my relationship fell apart at the exact same time. In that same three or four week period, my relationship with my significant other, my wife, uh, fell apart. Um, so I, was, I had that, you know, the, the major health problem, the relationship problem. And then as if it, it wasn't bad enough, I was laid off. I was downsized at work. And I went to work one day, and and they told us, no, we're, we're you know, you're you're being downsized, you no yeah. longer work here. So you know, now, you know, most people have one of those three things happen. Maybe it's the work, maybe it's the relationship not going well, maybe it's a health problem. I had all three at the same time. Right. Right. And so I woke up uh, one night. I was no longer living at home. My wife asked me to move out, and as a gentleman, I said, okay, well, fine. And I found a little, you know, cottage behind someone's house, little grand, grandma grandma cottage behind someone's house, and I was hanging out there. And I thought, I woke up one morning at four thirty in the morning, and I thought, what does it take to make life work? I don't understand. You know, what do you want from me? What have I done here mm -hmm. to deserve a life of such continuing struggle? I'm, and somebody tell me the rules. I'll play. Sure. I promise I'll play the game. Just give me the rule book. Yeah. Because I don't understand how it all goes. How does it go? Yeah. And that's uh, that's my story. And then I, of course, I began receiving that that input from the, the aspect of all of us that I call God. Mm -hmm. It started off as what I thought was a voice over my right shoulder. 
Neil, do you really want answers to all of these questions? Or are you just venting? I remember laughing to myself. I mean, it's 4.30 in the morning. I'm, I said, <laughs> yeah, I, I am venting. But if, you, if you've got answers, I'd sure as hell like to know what they are. Right, right. And immediately I heard, I heard you, know, you are sure as hell, but wouldn't you rather be sure as heaven? <sighs> oh, I love and that. I, yeah, and I said, uh, what's that supposed to mean? Mm. And the next thought came, and the next thought, and it was I no longer experienced it as a voice. I experienced it as thoughts in my mind. And people have asked me since then, what did the voice sound like in your head? And it sounded like the you know the the sound of one's own thoughts. I mean, you don't have a you you hear your thoughts, but you don't have a particular characteristic. It's not like an old man or an old woman or a lady or something. Mm. It's just the thoughts that run through your mind. Yeah. So these thoughts, but but these thoughts were bringing me answers to every question I ever asked and questions I never even dreamt existed. Mm. You know, what does it take to make life work? And then what's going on here? Somebody give me the rules. And I began writing them down because of what I was hearing in my head was so fascinating that I began just keeping on a a yellow legal pad, keeping notes of what I was told, what I was told. Of course, what I heard brought up other questions and so I would write those questions down, then I'd get answers to those questions. And pretty soon I was involved in a question answer, question answer dialogue, actually, on paper, yeah. a dialogue with that I wound up calling Conversations with God. Never oh. sat down to write a book. Uh, uh, Stacy Ike, it was not my intention to write a book ever. I didn't say, oh, I think I'll write a book about God. No, I was having what I thought was a very sacred personal experience. I was just journaling. As far as I was concerned, I called it journaling. Every morning when I would get up, first thing I would do, I'd go back to the other legal pad and continue my journaling for, you know, for a half hour or so, and then get on with my day. But before I knew it, I had many, many pages. I mean, three or four yellow legal pads filled with handwritten notes. And then in the middle of that dialogue, it said, you will make of this one day a book. And it will be accessed by many people. And I thought, wow, what an interesting idea. But I thought, wow, now I got you. Now I've got you. Because everything you've been telling me has been you know, theoretical in nature. Could be, could not be. It's all conceptual. Who would know? Maybe, maybe not. You know, No way to prove it. But now here is a statement of fact. This will one day become a book. It was not a concept. It was not a theory. It was a statement of fact. Either it would. Or it wouldn't. Now I got you. We'll see about that. Because I knew there wasn't a chance in the world. I mean, my goodness. There wasn't, wasn't a publisher on the planet who was going to publish, you know, a guy's handwritten notes that he says. He, I mean, I could just imagine. Can you imagine the owner of a publishing company running out to the workroom floor and saying to his editors, hold the presses. Hold the presses. We got a guy here who's talking to God. I don't think so. It's not going to happen. So I sent my notes to a publisher, to a couple of them, uh, not 25 or 30, but I think it was three different publishers. I, I sent my my notes to them. Uh, I had them typed up by a stenographer and sent the notes. Sure enough, one publisher called me and said, we'd like to publish this. I said, you're kidding me. <laughs> he said, no, no, we, we, we find this interesting. And it was a relatively small publisher, not a major publishing house, but a relatively small publishing house on the East Coast of the United States. But they put the book out. It only sold a million copies. 
and only wound up being translated into 37 languages wow. and sold around the world. Wow. I mean, I, I was stunned by what? Uh, what? It was on the New York Times bestseller list for 137 weeks. Mm. That doesn't happen for a nonfiction book. But there, there you have it. Mm. And the rest, as they say, is publishing history. Yeah. Reading your book, I fell in love with the word nuance because there were so many complexities, so many things that were this, instead of this or that, it was this and that. And I just couldn't believe how much life really is all happening. It can be good and bad at the same time. It can be lovely and hard. It can be beautiful and difficult. It can be amazing and still doubtful. And it was really a journey. It was a journey to really recognize that. It was a little painful, of course, because you want to But there's a wonderful reason for it. The wonderful reason for it is that what God has created here in the universe, not just on earth, but throughout the cosmos, is a contextual field, what I've come to call a contextual field. Mm -hmm. That is a field of experience that contains uh, polarities, up and down, left and right, big and small, fast and slow, so-called good and so-called evil, male and female, created he them. The whole process uh, contains polarities. And there's a reason for that, because in the absence of polarities, what is true about you cannot be experienced. For instance, if I just to use a simple example that was given to me. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludacris. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. In the dialogue, Neil, if you think of yourself as the light, just to use an example, just say to yourself, I am the light. Okay, fair enough. But supposing you want to experience yourself as the light, you you can't. You can you can know yourself. You can just conceive of yourself. It's a concept, a conceptualization. I'm the light. But if you don't, if you're not satisfied with just conceptualizations, if you want an actual experience of being the light, you've got to be in what? And God said, the darkness, of course, because without the darkness, the light is not. You'd be like a candle in the sun. You're there all right with right. a million kajillion other candles, but you can't know yourself as the light because there's nothing else but the light. So I will send you what you will call the darkness in order that you might experience yourself as the light. Then if you are a master, you will see the darkness as one of the greatest gifts that you were ever sent. Because it is what allows you to express and experience who you are as the light. Therefore, judge not and neither condemn. And raise not your fist to heaven and curse the darkness not. Mm. But in fact, be a light unto the darkness that you might know who you really are. And that all those whose lives you touch might know who they really are as well. What a magnificent system. It is. Except when we don't realize it. <laughs> or except when we don't see it. Well, or, because or no religion teaches us this. Yeah. We're not being taught any of this in school. No, there's no place where we're taught such an obviously and such a clear thing. Right. The principle of life. 
No one is telling us this. So do you think that we as human beings can learn by example, or do you think we must experience things? I I don't think it's either or. Here we go again. Mm. To use your your own words. I don't think it's one thing or the other. Yeah. I I think we can sometimes, you know, learn by experiencing and sometimes by just observing. Yeah. I I don't think it's one thing or the other. So, you know, we we have people who walk among us and they act a certain way and we say, you know what? I like that. I'm I'm learning from that. Mm -hmm. I've learned from that person just, just by observing them and watching them move through life the way they do. Yeah. As an example, my wife, it's a perfect example. We've been together now 13 years, almost almost 14 years. Mm. And I, every day I learn from her what it's like to be truly loving, truly patient, truly mm. understanding, truly gentle and kind. She's one of my life's greatest teachers. And I, I can also learn from my own experience that when I set foot into that realm and demonstrate a concept that I hold about myself, but put it into practice as an expression of who I am, then I've experienced it. Ah, So I think it's neither one nor the other, but both and, both and. I love that. I love that. I think that's, that has so much freedom in it. It has, it, it gives us again, so much nuance to be able to live and experience without so much guilt and shame. And so your current book is called The God Solution. Can you give me your description of what you think the God dilemma is right now or the God problem, for instance? Yeah, well, uh, I certainly can. (laughs) Uh, Millions of people are asking around the world right now, if there is a God, where is he? What's Mm -hmm. the point? What's happening here? If there really is a supreme being, why is the world such a mess? And why has it been, excuse me for noticing, such a mess for so many hundreds of thousands of years? Right. I mean, for instance, we've had some kind of a violent war going on on this planet for 92% of human history. Whew. Just to that's use such one a example. Crazy war. Those are that's such a crazy statistic to really remember and know. It's, it's so sad. 40,000 people, 40, people a year commit suicide on this planet. Three six hundred and uh, and twenty five children die on this planet of starvation every hour. Every hour, mm. six hundred children are dying of starvation on a planet where we throw away more food in the restaurants of Tokyo and Los Angeles than would be needed to feed an entire village for a week. What, what kind of a civilization does that? But if there is a God, here's the God dilemma. If there is a God, and with all the prayers that have been sent up to God, why is the world the way it is? Why isn't life, excuse me, just a little bit easier? Thank you very much. Where is God in all of this? So I call that the God dilemma. Mm-hmm. That people are running around now saying, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not willing to, I'm not willing to believe in a God who just sits around and does nothing. I mean, just watches what's going on and goes, you know, what can I say? What, what, with a pandemic that's killing six million people? Mm-hmm. What, what, I don't you know. With, with, with global economic collapse, crushing the dreams of people all over the planet, with racial injustice, not just in the United States, but all over the world, 
that people of color and people of different sexual orientations and even people of different genders, I mean, male and female, what, what is with the way we're treating each other? And, and why doesn't God say, hold it, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Let, me, let, me help you, let me help you guys out here. Let me step in here and, you know, and change some things. No. So the God dilemma is, what's the point of having a God if life is going to be the way it is? But the God solution is what I write about in the book. Mm-hmm. Because the God solution says, is it possible, just possible, that there's something we don't fully understand here about God, about life, and about ourselves? the understanding of which would change everything. Is it possible we simply have misunderstood God? Mm. If there's a solution there right in front of us, we're simply not using this so-called higher power? You know, Stacy, it's interesting to note that anthropological surveys show, and these surveys are not from ancient times, but in recent times, the past five or eight years, they keep taking these surveys asking the same question. Mm. And eight out of 10 people say that they believe in some sort of controlling power, some sort of higher power. That's 80% of the people in every culture on the planet, not just in this society or that society, but all over the planet, eight out of 10 people say they believe in some kind of higher power. Right. So is it possible that we simply haven't learned what that higher power is and how to apply it, how to use it? And is it possible that we have misunderstood God completely and based our behaviors, our interactions with each other on a model of God that is simply inaccurate? Mm. And so what the book calls for is a spiritual revolution, a theological revolution. The book says what we need on the planet is a new definition of God. A two-word definition. Let's decide that God is, in fact, pure love. Now, Stacy, when I give talks in front of audiences, somebody in the, you know, will inevitably get, stand up and say, oh, you know, excuse me, with, with respect, <laughs> I thought you came here to give us some kind of revolutionary new idea. God is love is a revolutionary idea. Of course, we all, we all get that. Nobody suggests that God is not love. Everyone agrees that God is love. And I have to stop the audience. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. I didn't say God is love. You didn't hear me say God is love. I said God is pure love. That's a particular kind of love that's dramatically different from your understanding and our understanding and humanity's understanding of love. Because we believe in a love that's conditional. Because we have been told that God's love is conditional. But I'm suggesting that God is pure love. And pure love is a love that needs, requires, wants, hopes for, and demands nothing in return. A love that finds its fulfillment and joy simply in the expressing of it. Can we, dare we, believe in a God who doesn't ask us anything in return, who requires us to do nothing 
in return for the ability to use the higher power that she's given us and placed in our hands with which to create the reality of our highest desires. Mm. See, if we could believe in a God who is not judgmental, condemning, or punishing, which is our current model, by the way. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. That's our model of God. Virtually every major religion teaches of a God who is judgmental, condemning, and punishing. If you don't do the things that God wants you to do, you're going to be in big trouble. And so we treat each other the same way. Because, by the way, ironically, we say that God loves us. The guy in the audience was right. Everyone agrees God is love. We call judgment, condemnation, and punishment part of love. We do. We do. See, God, God does that because God loves us. It's called divine justice. And it's just divine justice. If you happen to be a Jew, you're going to hell. If you're a Muslim, you're going to hell. If you're a Buddhist, you're going to hell. If you're the nicest person in the world, but you happen to be a Buddhist, I'm sorry, you're going to hell. Therefore, Buddha went to hell, presumably. And so did Muhammad, and so did Moses, and so did the leaders and the teachers and the masters of all the world's great faith traditions, except the Christian tradition. Mm. Those people are going right to heaven, no matter how they act. What an interesting setup. And so we have used that model as the model for our behavior. We talk to each other that way. I mean, leaders of nations actually talk to other leaders of other nations in that exact exact same way. My missiles are bigger than your missiles. Better watch out. Better not cry. Oh, wow. what, what, What kind of a system allows us to create a world in which Nine people, nine human beings hold more wealth and resources than one half of the human race combined. And we call that perfectly okay. Hey, it's the way things are. Relax, Neil, relax. It's true that two-thirds of the world's people go hungry every day, but, you know, relax. Because they, they haven't you know, done what they need to do. We live in a world based on requirements. There are certain requirements in order for you to live the good life. Neil, what's what's so interesting about this is after reading your books, I went into a very high high and a very low low at the same time. I was so relieved and free and so depressed at the same time. Because to your point, you're listing so many things that do make up the world we live in. But it also made me feel like me as an individual, you as an individual, we actually might not be able to change the entire world. Because even though we're having a conversation right now where we are recognizing the pain and the confusion of how we've decided to treat each other, I was not sure when are we going to move on from this version. Because it's not a question. Of, see, see we are, with respect, <laughs> with respect, 
You're asking the wrong question. Okay, okay. See, because, because our purpose here, that is your purpose and my purpose, mm. the purpose of each of us as individuals, is not to somehow change the world. Mm. The world the world may change or it may not change. Mm-hmm. We, you see, we have to ask a fundamental question. Most people go through their life and never ask the most important question of their life, which is, who am I? Mm-hmm. I mean, who, who am I, really? At, at, at the basis of my being, who am I? Am I basically a physical entity? No different from a bird in the sky or a fish in the sea? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe a little more complex, perhaps, fair enough. Maybe a more sophisticated life form. But by and large, just a physical life form. I'm born, I live, I die, and that's the beginning and the end of it. Mm-hmm. Is that who I am? Mm-hmm. Or is it possible, just possible, that I am more than that? Is it possible that I'm a spiritual being having a body and a mind, but that this is not who I am. This is what I have. Who I am is a spiritual being. Mm. Now, if our answer to that question is yes, of course, if the answer is no, the conversation is over. Nothing further to discuss. Have a good life and and good luck. Sure. But if your answer is, yes, I I am a spiritual entity, a spiritual being with a body and a mind, then the question becomes, why? Why in the world would a spiritual entity with the freedom of the spirit has put itself into a body and a mind? For what purpose? And are we serving that purpose? Is the purpose to change the world? No. The purpose is for you individually to experience and express who you really are and for you to expand your demonstration and expression of that, to grow in that process, for you to recreate yourself anew in every golden moment of now, in the next grandest version of the greatest vision ever you have about who you are. Mm. That you might know yourself as divine. Now, here's the irony. People who, in fact, do that, mm-hmm. people who really get, oh, it's about my own evolution. I get that my soul has an agenda. Mm-hmm. It's about serving my soul's agenda to demonstrate my true identity. Interestingly enough, people who have done that have, in fact, impacted the world entire. We hear their names repeated hundreds of years later. Mm. And if there have been any major positive changes in what it's like to be human, we can relate those changes to those people. I mean, Buddha touched the lives, not just during his lifetime as a physical being, but throughout human history. Buddha touched the lives of millions of people. Jesus touched the lives of millions of people. Moses came down from the mountaintop and didn't just talk to the people at the bottom of the mountain. His messages have been heard by people all over the world. And so too has it been with other people, not just spiritual messengers, but people who stood up for and said, there's something greater going on here. I have a dream. I have a dream that one day people will be judged by the content of their character not by the color of their skin. Of course, they shot him like they killed Christ. Of course, they, you know, they murder the prophets and the sages and the wisdom speakers among us. 
But the time is beginning to turn. The numbers are beginning to increase. The number of people who are saying, ah, there's something more going on here than meets the eye. Or as Shakespeare put it, I love Shakespeare. There are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. Mm. To be or not to be. That is the question. I've never, I've never, ever seen or heard it that way. And that's a really beautiful way to digest that. Truly, truly. I think we allow fear of of so many things, of, of how we are supposed to be and who we are supposed to be. Even when you were talking about your story of your relationship with God as a young person and, and that fear of, of doing good or wrong or bad or, or all these things that that was definitely a um, familiar experience to me and something I related to, because that was a part of my breaking point of always supposed to, and to find out our soul has an agenda and is here to express and to be, and to show up. It's, it's a turning point. And I wonder why, why we know that we have the God in us, but we still sabotage each other and ourselves while trying to live that out because it's too good to be true because our <laughs> culture yeah our culture has told us it's too good to be true right when i was receiving so much of what i've just been sharing with you now in my conversations with god especially the part about god has no judgment you know mm. i was told in in conversations with god this is going to be tough to hear folks tough to hear hang on to your hats but I was told Hitler went to heaven. Mm. I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. What? What are you telling me? Hitler went to heaven? And the reply I received was, Neil, sweetheart, sweetheart, there's no other place to go. There is no hell. You made that all up. Mm. And of course Hitler went to heaven because he was a member of a very primitive species who simply simply didn't understand the highest truths about life. So I have since learned that God does not forgive us for anything. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. God never forgave Hitler. God has never forgiven any of us for anything because forgiveness is not part of God's experience. You can't hurt, damage, upset, anger, frustrate, injure God in any way. Any more than a three-year-old child. You know, and the, you, you you read the book. You remember the story from the book. Yes. It's a yes. wonderful, wonderful, wonderful yes. anecdote told in the book yes. of a three-year-old child who's having a, a birthday party. Right. And, and, you know, and, and and she spills the milk in grandpa's lap you know, because she was so anxious reaching for the cake. Yeah. And and and, 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 and grandpa looks at the child. His, his, his lap is full of milk. His best Sunday suit, by the way, because he came for his granddaughter's birthday party. And he looks at this three-year-old child and he says to her, go to your room. What's the matter with you? You should know better. 
You've been told to be more careful at the table. Go to your room and don't come out of your bedroom for the next 27 years. <laughs> I'll teach you. No, grandpa doesn't do that. Grandpa doesn't punish the child. Mm -hmm. What grandpa does is he says to the child, it's okay, sweetheart. Grandpa forgives you. Grandpa doesn't even do that. Grandpa doesn't forgive a three-year-old. Forgiveness right. is not even on the table. It's not even part of the equation. Right. Grandpa simply does something quite extraordinary. As the child cries in recognition of her own mistake, Grandpa brings her to him and embraces her. Gives her the biggest hug ever. Says, it's okay, sweetheart. I love you. I love you. You know what? I got to believe that God is at least as nice as my grandpa. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, so, yes. But here's, the re here's what people don't understand. Hmm. Here's what people are not clear about. The reason that grandpa doesn't punish the child or even forgive the child, nothing to forgive. You don't forgive a child for a three-year-old mistake because you understand that three-year-old children make those kinds of mistakes. Right. And understanding replaces forgiveness in the mind of the master. Folks, write that on your bathroom mirror so you see it every morning when you get up. Absolutely. I'm serious. Yeah. Put a note on your bathroom mirror that says, understanding replaces forgiveness in the mind of the master. And you never have to forgive anyone for anything, but merely understand how is it that they could do and say what they've done and said? How could they have acted in that way? Oh, I see. I understand. That doesn't mean I condone it. It doesn't mean I approve of it. It doesn't mean I want them to repeat it. But it simply means that I understand, mm. given all that you've gone through in your life, given what you've experienced in your childhood, given your total understanding or misunderstanding of the nature of life itself, I understand how you could have done what you just did. Mm. Pope John Paul II had a wonderful experience of this. He was shot six times in a motorcade in Rome. Um, by um, a terrorist. And he miraculously survived. It was unbelievable, but he actually survived six gunshot wounds. And they caught the guy, of course, because he was right there in the crowd. And they hauled him off to jail where, where they you know, sentenced him, of course, to life in prison for, for trying to kill the Pope. I mean, in Italy? Wrong place to try to do that. But after he recovered, the Pope went to the jail cell of his attempted assassin and gave his assassin a papal blessing, gave him his blessing because he, and by the way, he did it for a reason. He did, there was a big demonstration. I mean, the, the press was there, the media was there. He, he saw this as a wonderful opportunity to make a point with the entire world. Yeah. He asked the terrorists, why did you do that? Why would you want to kill me? 
And when the terrorists told him, the Pope said, you know, I don't agree. That's not the way to solve the grievances that you felt you had against the Catholic Church. I don't agree. But given what you've just told me and how you were raised to believe, I can understand how you would do such a thing. And the Pope and this assassin became friends. They became pen pals. This is a true story. They wrote letters back and forth to each other, from jail to the, to the Vatican, to the jail to the Vatican, letters back and forth for years. Finally, after serving seven years, the Pope asked the authorities to give the man a full pardon. He said to the authorities, look, he served seven years. He made a horrible mistake. Let him go. He's paid his debt. And the authorities reduced his life sentence to seven years and set the man free. Mm. Because the Pope remembered something that we were all taught, but that very few people practice. He remembered this statement. Love. Love. Love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. And do good to those who do you harm. And be a light unto the darkness. Wow. What a way to do relationships. What a way to treat each other. I mean, even as you, I won't lie, as you were speaking and saying that, a flash of that's too good to be, too, too good to be true also came through my mind. And I said, no, no, no. But it did flash through my mind because I, I do think we forget that so often. We, we forget to practice that. And life isn't just about discovering. It is about remembering. And that's who we really are, just like you said. But to put it into practice, wow, that was a beautiful, beautiful uh, story to remind us. It, it makes me think about where we are now. I mean, we've all experienced a pandemic together. We've all gone through so much together while also being isolated and having our own individual experiences. So I wonder in interpersonal relationships, maybe let's say romantic or friendships or whatever, while we're all awakening and growing and in the space of being woke, what if you are growing past your partner? You know, what if you're evolving in one way and you can feel and see that you're not necessarily living out your highest while being in relationship? Do you go and let it go or do you stay and wait? How do you live out the God solution? In that well, well, of course, there's, there's no one answer. One size fits all response to your question. Mm -hmm. You're looking for an answer that everybody who's in that situation should do this. Sure. There is no one size fits all. Some people go and some people stay. Mm -hmm. It depends on what you feel serves the agenda of your soul and in, in what ways you choose to grow and to expand your own highest understanding and greatest demonstration of who you really are. Mm -hmm. See, if you're in the relationship to get something out of it, you'll have a particular positionality with regard to the relationship itself. If you're in the relationship to get nothing out of it, but to simply put something into it, then you'd have a different position, a different way of being in the relationship. Because somehow you would understand, wait a minute, if I'm in the relationship not to get anything out of it, but to put something into it by what I put into it is what I get out of it because there's no greater experience in life than to experience myself in the highest and grandest way. When I am my most loving, 
my most compassionate, my most forgiving, my most understanding, my most generous. When I am the most of me I can ever be, and I had to have those moments in my life, we all have had moments like that. That's when I feel the best. And I don't need anything from you to make me feel the best about me, except maybe the opportunity to share with you that part of me that seeks to experience completion. So I tell people, you want to change your life in one week? Here's what I want you to do. I dare you to say in your mind, don't say it out loud, because if you say it out loud, nobody will understand. I mean, (laughs) nobody will understand. (laughs) But say it in your mind, I dare you. The first time you see any person in any particular day of your life, maybe it's the first time you see your partner across the pillow, or the first time you see your neighbor across the pillow. Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. Street. Or the first time you see a stranger across town. But the first time you see anybody on that particular day, I dare you to say in your mind the following. I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Your life will be made better today for my having passed through it. I promise you. Mm. Wow. That gives me chills. (laughs) It gives me chills. It's what I said to myself not to be self-serving, but just as a tool before I got on this program with you. I saw your picture on the screen of my computer. I took one look at you and I said to myself, in my mind, your life will be made better today for my having passed through it. I promise you. If each of us said that to whoever we encounter for the first time that day, maybe it's somebody that we see a lot, a romantic partner, in fact, the neighbor across the street, or somebody we only see once a month, the guy behind the counter at the post office, the lady at the coffee shop, or somebody we've never seen before, a total stranger on the street. It doesn't matter. When you understand what you're doing there. See, there's only four questions in life. Who am I? Where am I? Why am I where I am? Why am I right in front of you right now? 
And what do I intend to do about that? So when you're walking down the street in a city and you see a guy, you know, on the ground, leaning up against a building, his back against the bricks of some building, maybe a little bottle of who knows what in a brown paper bag, <laughs> and a little hat in front of him with a sign that says anything helps. You get to ask yourself, who am I? Where am I? Why am I where I am? Why am I standing in front of the sky on the ground with a bottle of four roses and a brown paper bag? What am I doing here? And what do I intend to do about that? That is the way to change your life in one week. But be careful. This stuff is dangerous. Don't really be change. <laughs> Not only will you change, those around you will change. And those around them will change. And if you're not careful, somebody will walk up to you and say, by whose authority are you acting like this? Who the hell do you think you are? And you will say, I've come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Do with me as you wish. Because I'm not this. And I'm not this. Who I am always was, is now, and always will be. I could, of course, Stacy, be wrong about all of this. Mm. <laughs> it's just what I was told in my conversations with God. Sure. And I have no need to be right about any of it. Sure. When you received your download from God, how long, I mean, because also like life is ever evolving, you were still downloading so much of that and internalizing and living that out every day. Because I think trying for to. me, right, trying to, you know, I, I've heard you talk very candidly about your relationships, your marriages. I, I, I recognize that you mentioned that you've been married seven times and that your experiences with each woman and, and what you were trying to, what love you were trying to get out of it. And and, and different things you've experienced with food and, and, and still these, these human things. And for me, when I heard conversations with God, which was just recently, which was within the pandemic, I'm thinking, okay, now that I know this information, this is how I'm going to be, but that isn't true. <laughs> there's still an evolving process. There's still an, there's still an internalizing. So but, at least, I, I, but, but you know, at least now you're on the path. At least now yeah. you know where you're going. Yeah. And see, that's what I that's what I always answer. I'm not there. Mm. I haven't gotten close to being there. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm not living at a level of mastery. But you know what? At least I know where I'm going. Mm. At least I know what I'm trying to do, which is a hell of a lot better than the life I was leading years ago when I didn't even know what I was doing. Mm. I mean, most people don't even know what the hell they're doing. Right. And I was one of them. You get up in the morning and go, you know, what's it all about? Right. What's it all about, Alfie? I'm not going to sing it. But I, can tell <laughs> I was going to, I'll join you. <laughs> it's, you know, it's like really the eternal question. At yeah. least now I know what it's all about. Yes. And I can be grateful that at the end of the day, if I even live 
15 or 20 or 30% of that. I can put my head on the pillow and say, you know what? If nothing else, I have found a better way of living. Yeah. I have found a greater joy. I have found a higher happiness. Mm-hmm. I have found a truer version of me. Yeah. At least now, at 70, I can believe that what I thought of myself at seven sure. was true. Because when I was seven, I thought I was the best thing going. And it turns out, that I was right, that we all are the best thing going. But you have to know where you're going or you'll wind up going around in circles, trying to figure out this game called life and realizing that when you try to figure it out with your mind, it makes no sense at all. I remember visiting my father when he was 83 years old for Thanksgiving one year. I flew up to Wisconsin where he lived. I was living in California at the time. And and I remember having a few days with my dad. And at one point he sat in his rocking chair. He didn't say much in those days. He was very quiet, but he would sit in his rocking chair. And at one point he looked at me across the room and he said, I don't understand any of it. And I remember thinking, what? What? I've been taking instructions from you since I was four years old. What what are you telling me? You don't understand any of it? And you're the person who's been teaching me how to live? Whoa. And I promised myself when I left my father's house that day, Maybe I don't understand any more than he does, but I'm not going to let it go at that. I'm going to do what it takes to try to come to some understanding that makes sense to my soul. And that's why I had my conversations with God. And as I said a minute ago, maybe my current understandings are totally crazy, totally wrong, totally inaccurate, but wow. If somebody knows a better way to living, a better way to live than the way I've described, I'm all ears. Hmm. I'm all ears. Yeah. Let me know what it is. Yeah. Because I choose to believe in a God who needs nothing, requires nothing, demands nothing, condemns nothing, punishes nothing, but simply loves us as we would love our three-year-old granddaughter. Purely and needing nothing in return. You know, I held a baby. Somebody said to me, how can people actually love that way? Do you know anybody who loves that way? I said, yeah, almost everybody I know has loved that way in their life at one point. Ever held a baby in your arms? And the person says, oh, yeah, I've held a baby in my arms. I said, ah, You've actually held a baby in your arms? He said, yeah, yeah. My, my granddaughter, my, my daughter's baby, I held her in my arms. I said, and if the baby had an unfortunate biological accident, while you held that baby in your arms, would you punish her? 
said, oh, don't be ridiculous. Of course not. I said, ah, I see. I see. Mm. So you do know how to love without needing anything in return. You do know how to love no matter what happens. It's when you see that baby as the pure expression of innocence, doing what it does in the only way it knows how, because it's a baby. That's how God sees us. You know how old we are compared to the age of the universe? I mean, as a civilization? Right. The age of the earth, if you put it on a calendar year, just for purposes of understanding, let's just take the age of the earth and overlay it on a calendar year. We'll pretend that January 1st was when the earth came into being and that December 31st is today. On that scale, just to use it as a scale, the first form of life did not occur on this planet until the middle of February. More sophisticated life forms, birds in the sky, fish in the sea, didn't appear on the planet until November. Dinosaurs did not appear on this planet on that scale of time until the 5th of December. Dinosaurs did not disappear until, ironically, the 25th of December. Humanoids, not human beings, but humanoids, that is, animals that walked on two legs and began to act a little bit like humans, Mm. did not appear until December 31st. And the entirety of human history on that scale of time, the entirety of human history took took place in the last 60 seconds of the year on that scale. That's how young we are compared to the age of the earth. Forget about the cosmos. So would God then punish us for belonging to the wrong religion and send us to everlasting damnation to suffer and be tortured by the fires of hell? Because we were Jewish or Muslim or Buddhist and belonged to the wrong religion. I'll teach you. I mean, really? Oh, it's it's interesting because we also use a lot of the the guilt and the shame and the things that are very natural in the human experience, but we use against each other and we even sabotage ourselves very deeply you mentioned unless earlier we unless we don't unless we don't and you early you mentioned earlier that you felt your life was going very wrong and you talked about jobs and marriages and things like that obviously these are things that needed to happen for your life how do you i guess how do you reckon with those things that happen with you now you you talk about you you change career several times you change you know you left religion alone you weren't with the same woman for years. Um, all these different experiences you had. Do you feel any guilt or shame in any of that now? Do you ever? No. Right. Guilt and fear are the only enemies of man. Mm. Guilt and shame have no place 
in the human experience. Regret is not guilt. Sadness is not shame. Am I sad about the way I treated some people in my life? You bet I am. Do I regret some of the things I said and some of the things I have done? You bet I do. But do I feel guilty about it? No. As Maya Angelou said in her beautiful poetry, when we know better, we do better. Mm -hmm. Or as my father used to say, so old, so soon, so smart, so late. Mm. I ask all of my guests this, and I'm very interested to hear your answer. What is the last thing you forgave yourself for, for the first time? My selfishness. Mm. I've been very selfish most of my life until the past 25 years. But I, I, I lived 50 years before that, a half century before the last 25 years. In that half century, I was incredibly selfish, emotionally selfish, physically selfish, selfish with my time, selfish in, in many, many ways. And um, I had to forgive myself for that mm. after I had my conversation with God. I had to then also go to those people, which I did, those who were still with us. Some had celebrated their continuation day, but most of them were still in their physical form. And I made a point of going to them one by one, to my first wife, mother of my first children. And I said, wow, wow. I'm, I'm sorry. And I would do anything to make it up to you. I know it's a little bit late in the game, but maybe better late than never. So even though we hadn't been together for almost 35 years, I shared with her the royalties from my book. Mm. Wow. I told the people who distribute those royalties didn't even flow through me. I just told them, I want you to send a certain percentage of them to this person, gave them her address. And it's silly, you know, it's not like money can make up for it. It's a horrible even thought to have. I wasn't trying to buy her forgiveness. Mm -hmm. But I was trying to say to her, look, if there was anything I could do to make your life a tiny bit easier now, for all the ways in which I made your life very difficult and very challenging all those years ago, would you do me the favor of allowing me to do it? Because she at first didn't want to accept it. I said, could you give me one last gift? 
could I ask you one last favor? Could you let me give you this gift? Not so that I can relieve myself of any guilt, because I've given up guilt for Lent. I don't, I don't feel I love, guilt. Yeah. But so that I can deal, at least with a tiny bit of integrity, mm. with my regret. And at least offer some compensation for all the sadness I caused you. Yeah. And I went to other people in my life as well and tried to make it right with all of them, including some of my children. Mm. So I think that there comes a time when we sit down with ourselves and say, who do I need to have a long conversation with? And who's even still willing to talk to me? Yeah. Even still willing to listen. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing that. That's such a illustration of what human to human is and being willing to have those deeper conversations, even when they are painful and hard. And your book, God's Solution, The God Solution, it's it's such a beautiful invitation. I'd love you to tell us what is the invitation you're you're sending out to us during this time. We're about to, as you can see, the pandemic, we're opening up again. Um, I'm hoping things don't go back to normal to say that, <laughs> but I hope that a book like this really can penetrate where we are now and what I believe is an awakening and a, just a new time for us. But what is your book's invitation to us now? I think the invitation is to create a new ethic, to embrace, mm. uh, to embrace a revolutionary theological definition of God, to use that as our new model of behavior, to allow ourselves to behave as we now understand God behaves, to meld our feelings with God's feelings, our emotions with God's feelings. Mm. So wonderful process in the book called melding. I remember Spock from Star Trek into the mind meld. They call it a mind meld. Mm. I'm suggesting that we do, a, in a sense, sort of a mind meld with God, that whenever anything occurs in our life, something that's really wonderful or something that's not quite so wonderful, whatever is arising in our experience, to notice how we are feeling about it and then train ourselves in that moment to take a look at what we imagine God is feeling about the same event, about that moment. And then meld the two and see if that doesn't create a new way of being, a new ethic, a new way of behaving, a new way of responding to the economic, social, political, and spiritual events of our time and of our individual lives. So I'm suggesting that we create a new ethic based on the understanding of pure love. And the decision to embrace that as our state of being, that I choose to and will express pure love in all the remaining moments of my life, in which I find it humanly possible to do so. And to train myself to step into that. That's the invitation. That's what I've called the God solution. It's, it's so suddenly, beautiful. Oh, God. Suddenly, we wouldn't have any more questions about what's the point of having a God? Because we would use our new understanding of God to 
model for us to be an exemplar of how we could respond. We would never again respond with judgment, condemnation, and punishment, as we have been told that God responds to us. We would now respond in an entirely different way, with a love that knows no condition and knows no limit, and therefore solves all the problems that humanity has created for itself. Getting really emotional because <laughs> it's it's a wonderful world to live in. Um, something that makes me a little nervous, to be honest with you, is that we are pretty segregated. You know, a lot of people don't come across work that isn't familiar to them or doesn't make them comfortable. And I just wonder how can we, for as as a community, as a as listeners, as watchers, whoever is engaging in this interview, share this message with, with people around us, even if it's not something that's familiar to them. And I know the for me, the first thing that came to mind was changing ourselves and making sure the message resonates with ourselves. But I think of just all the different, especially political things that were happening in 2020 and just how many different sectors and groups and conversations were happening. And it was hard to, to reckon with. And I'm like, how can everyone get into the God solution? How do we pass the knowledge? By simply living it. Yeah. I mean, you said it a minute ago. Yeah. By simply stepping into the living of it. Yeah. And when conversations come up among our peers, when our friends and family and neighbors and those that we are close to offer their commentary on what's happening politically, economically, socially, and spiritually in this country, and even if there's a little bit of anger involved in it, that we can step in and offer our point of view and say, well, there might be another way to look at this. Mm. You know, what would happen if we responded in the following way? What would happen if we responded as Pope Paul, Pope John Paul II to the man who shot him six times? Just out of curiosity, <laughs> is it possible that there's another way to be? Is it Possible. That's what I ask in my conversational groups. Is it possible? It may not be. I could be wrong, but I'm just asking. Hypothetically. Hypothetically. Mm -hmm. Is it possible that there's something we don't fully understand here about God? About life? About myself? About each other? Is it possible there's something I don't fully understand? The understanding of which would change everything. I think the answer is yes. And I think if we look for that part that we don't fully understand, we will find redemption. And the doorway out of this place we've boxed ourselves into. But each of us would have to be the living, breathing expression of that. And without a need for an outcome. That is, we can't seek to change the world. Mm. We can only seek to change ourselves. But if when they put my head to rest for the last time, 
if my dear wife, my family, my friends, those close to me, can at least say as they lay me down to rest for the final moment, they can at least say, you made it. You made it. Took him 84 years, but he got there. And along the way, he invited us to join in the journey. And it served us to do so. I hope I get to be there along with their family. You're already there. Mm. You're already there. You're doing it right now. In the life you're living. In the program that you're putting out into the world. In the information that you're placing on the planet. You're already moving in that direction. And in many ways, you're already there. And your beauty, the beauty of who you are, not just physically, of course, everyone I'm sure has told you since you were nine that you're perfectly gorgeous, a gorgeous human being. But beyond being physically gorgeous, it's pretty clear to those who know you that you're emotionally, spiritually, philosophically a gorgeous person, generous, caring, compassionate, sensitive, and loving. Everyone who knows you would say that's true about you. Wow, Neil Donald Walsh, everybody. <laughs> I am officially crying. <laughs> I am so grateful that you were able to share space together with me here on Human to Human. This was such a beautiful exchange of energy and experience. And I'm so grateful to have put out your book to my audience and to introduce your work to them. For those who either didn't know you or are getting into your work now, um, check out The God Solution, everybody. It's such a wonderful expression of love and pure love and, and where I believe that we are going as a world. So I just want to thank you so much for being here, Neil. It's lovely, Stacey, to have been invited. Thank you for letting me share this time with you. Of course. The gift is received here as well. And maybe we can do it again sometime. I hope so. I look forward to it. I look forward to it. Thanks for listening to the Human to Human podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, leave a review. And while you're at it, share this with someone you love or just someone you like as long as you share it. Stay connected between episodes at humanhumanseries.com where I'll be answering this episode's reflection question. You can also stay connected to our community on Instagram at human to human with Stacey Ike or with me at one take Stace. Not one like the number one, one like the only one. I'm your host, Stacey Ike. And remember, we are not what we do. We are who we choose to be. So let's be curious. Let's be in community and let's stay connected. This episode was produced by Stacey Ike, Tracy Lincoln, audio engineer Jarrell Jones, and special thanks to our guests and the entire team at Stacey Ike Inc. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. 
Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois.